Welcome to Pale in Comparison. In this podcast, my sister uses her knowledge of the other verse to take a look at Balbo's least appreciated work, and I try not to give away any spoilers. I'm Jenny. Malia convinced me to read Worm. I'm Malia, and Jenny convinced me to read everything else. This episode, we are covering Bonds, Chapter 1.1. Before we get into that, however, I'd like to issue a spoiler warning. Both Jenny and I have read Pale, and as you'll learn, the point of this podcast is for me to use my knowledge of Pale to guess what the heck is going on in Pact. Thus, this podcast will be filled with Pale spoilers. If you don't know who killed the Carmine Beast and don't want us to tell you, stop now, read Pale, and come back to this podcast. As for Pact, there will be full spoilers through the chapter that we are covering. All right, so first, um, we're just going to do a quick introduction of ourselves to pretty much why we're doing this podcast. So again, I'm Jenny, and as my sister Malia, we basically love Wild Bow stories. Like I said, she told me about Worm, and I don't want to say obsessed, but I really, really like the stories. (laughs) Um, I've read pretty much everything. The only one I haven't gotten all the way through is Twig, because there was a certain part that kind of broke my soul a little bit inside, and so I need to recover from it before I attempt to read Twig again. But I probably will try. I just need some time. <laughs> it's been like a year and a half. I mean, I don't even know, but... You know what? <laughs> it, it, it takes some time, okay? You shut your face. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I also just kind of want to say, well, I don't know why you'd be listening to this if you haven't read Pact or Pale. If you haven't or listened... Or if you haven't read Pale. Or Yeah, I guess so, but... If you haven't read either one of those, you should definitely stop what you're doing and go listen to those. Because as we said, there will be spoilers for both of those in this. And they're both fantastic stories. Highly recommend to read them. Yeah. But as long as you're caught up with me in Pact, we won't spoil past that unless Jenny lets something slip. No, I'm, I am like a steel trap. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to let anything slip. <laughs> and if I do, you're just going to have to edit that out. So... <laughs> Try not to make more work for you. Yeah, I basically convinced Malia to read Pact. Um, indirectly? Pact was indirect because you thought it'd be too scary for me. And we're going to find out because I'm very afraid of everything. But yeah. you convinced me to read Pact because you convinced me to read Pale. <laughs> yes. And that took a while because she's busy. She's a law student. So she actually has stuff to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I actually literally sat her down and read the first chapter of Pale out loud. And instead of getting really irritated with me, it actually kind of hooked her into the story. It worked. (laughs) uh, It worked. Let me see. Anything else you want to say about that, Malia? Yeah. So I guess um, to set the record, I read Worm and then I didn't read anything else because I was not involved in the community or anything. I didn't really realize other things were happening. So then Jenny was like, have you heard about Ward? And I was like, what? And eventually I started reading Ward and was slow and she was harassing me about it. But then she started harassing me about Pale when I wasn't even done with Ward. But I finished Ward and we are current in Pale. Pale is actually still being released right now, but we'll see what happens in terms of that. We're going to stay on top of Pale. I caught up with Pale and then I was like, okay, I really need more. I need more. This this book is so freaking good, or this story. And the only option was Pact, which I was kind of afraid of, because I heard, like, Pact is kind of creepy and really intense, and I don't do well with scary things at all. But I was like, you know what? I need more. And so I read the first chapter, and I 
called Jenny up and I started talking about it and I was like, this is so hilarious. Like this person's obviously a practitioner and this person's obviously a familiar and blah, 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 blah. And then it was like, hey, you know what would be funny? If like we recorded all this and sent it out into the universe so that other people could like experience reading Pact, which is very confusing, I've heard, with the knowledge of reading or of like of the other verse through Pale. And they could experience that vicariously through me. I just thought it would be fun because that was a very good conversation. And that's kind of why we're doing this. I don't know why Jenny's doing this, but that's why I'm doing this. I'm humoring you as your older sister, so uh, (laughs) that's fine. (laughs) No, I think it'll be fun. But anyway, that is definitely enough about ourselves. Um, Let's dive in here. I'm going to go over basically a chapter summary, and then we'll get into talking about the juicy details here. So real small summary here. (laughs) We start off by meeting Blake, our protagonist. We see him arriving at his grandmother's house. There we meet his lovely family, who's arguing over Grandma Rose's belongings since she's facing her imminent demise. Ends up that his cousin Molly gets everything. Rose kicks it, and then he goes back home, and everything's fine. Until four months later. And then he has a really intense dream, and is given a warning by a girl in the mirror. Yeah, you know that everything was fine because that four months was a time skip, and Wild Bo didn't tell us anything about it. So he was, like, too boring. Yeah, that's true. Everything was actually fine. Uh, So I guess just to start off, just because we're starting the story and we know nothing, what do you think Bonds is referring to in the title? Yeah, so um, it seems like this story is a lot about family, um, family and connections. But it also, so Bonds, you know, like family bonding, or as our mom likes to say, family bondage because she said it wrong once and then it just became this <sighs> hilarious <laughs> awkward family joke um that we're now sharing with everyone else so <laughs> thank you for that, um, <laughs> but so bondage right like being constrained being i mean like there's the sex stuff or whatever but i think this is more like being constrained like for- being tied down like I'm sure no one would have understood the sex stuff if you hadn't have said that. Thanks. I mean, I don't think the uh, sex stuff make comes it in. really awkward. To this part <laughs> of it, maybe. I guess it could. That's Leo. not my prediction. Okay, let's move on. Oh my gosh, that's not what I want. I regret asking anything. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, so it's it's being it's being restrained and trapped, but also family. Like I feel right now. All mm. right. So <laughs> I'm definitely moving on. Um, so basically, we'll start off with Blake pulls up to house on a hill and basically proceeds to procrastinate as much as he possibly can. Yeah. Um, what I kind of got from this little bit was that parking is like weirdly a theme. I mean, I guess it makes sense because parking is very stressful and anxiety inducing. One of my biggest problems with going to places that I'm not familiar with is finding parking. Jenny's looking at me like that's dumb, but... No, I I think I agree with that. I'm still <laughs> scarred by you bringing up like sexual bondage okay, in the podcast. Okay, <laughs> no, parking is stressful. So is bringing up weird shit on a podcast. So thanks a lot, Malia. It was weird enough just bringing up that mom said bondage for family bonding, <laughs> and then you had to go ahead and spell it out. What? All okay. right, it's fine. They I'm gonna be do. fine. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You didn't have to. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Well, I wanted to All clarify right, I wasn't talking about that. Okay. okay. Um, but parking, right? So so the, the uncle parks in the driveway as this like power move and a dick move so that like no one can get onto the property easily and to be like, I was here first, but also fuck all of you. I guess we're an explicit podcast. 
and also maybe as some sort of way to like watch people as they approach the house was kind of what I was thinking. But then also like, so he parks in the middle of the driveway and then this like creepy big fence um, has a whole bunch of no parking signs on it, which is just like Mm -hmm. rude and seems unnecessary. It seems like, like not like a desolate town or whatever, but not like a thriving, you know, metropolis where like parking is like a super valuable resource. Um, and so it just seems kind of dicks to be like, don't park on the street outside of my super ugly fence. Meh. Yeah. But also just occurred to me fits in with one of my thoughts later. All right. Yeah. But Blake, <laughs> you know, he shows a little bit of his character. He's like, he's getting around the obstacles. He's getting around the, the no parking signs. He's getting around the parked car because Blake has a motorcycle, which both probably pisses his family off. Like it's un, maybe an unconventional choice, but also like allows him to get around the bullshit and get closer to the house than anyone else. Maybe. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. Um, also talk about some tension building. It says here. We wrote some notes down, so I'm reading Malia's notes for her. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, the house looks really creepy, but then Blake keeps trying to pretend that the house doesn't look that creepy, but (laughs) it feels creepy. It's like up on this hill and there's this really gross fence and like, and like, it might be Victorian. We don't really know. But then also like there's the people who are watching and like probably talking about Blake, or at least he thinks that they are. And... He's obviously procrastinating going inside because he's like, and he keeps saying like, oh, damn me, damn this, damn them. Like, we're not about to have like a nice time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really setting up like a birthday party or something. No. No. You never know. Those neighbors might just be pissed off about the parking. Be like, (laughs) oh, like they're parking all over the damn place. Like, (laughs) but they're not parking where the no parking signs are. (laughs) I guess that's true. (laughs) So it does. It just, well. It describes the town a little bit, mm-hmm. not really much, but this is Jacob's Bell, uh, and this house basically overlooks the whole town. So it's kind of, even though not necessarily a really big house, it's kind of a, it definitely catches attention. Right. And it seems like the neighbors could possibly be angry because they mentioned like somewhere wanting to maybe like flatten the hill and drain the wetlands and expand the town. But like this house and this hill are like kind of in the way of that as like a possible reason for like antagonism within the community. But speaking of the size of the town, one of my random guesses is that Blake is like a musical or artsy person because he describes the town as a two theater town, which seemed like not the descriptor that I would think of. So like I live in Austin and I don't know how many theaters are in Austin. This is already a bad analogy, but (laughs) I wouldn't describe Austin based on the amount of theaters it has. I know that that's a thing some people do, and it's a thing that Wildbow specifically does in Pale. Louise thinks about Kennet and how it only has one theater. But this is after thinking about like the specific population size and how many schools there are and like that sort of a thing. That's fair. It might not be that. But then he also says he doesn't want to get caught up in his family's tempo, which like no one says. <laughs> maybe maybe some people say it. But I was like, ooh, tempo. Ooh, theater. Ooh, there's paint on your pants. Ooh. <laughs> you have tattoos that are in the watercolor style. He's artsy. That's true. I mean, just to go back to the theater reference for the town, FYI for everybody, me and Malia grew up on Maui. So when I I was 
did varsity soccer and we would go to Molokai to play and we would mm. take the ferry over. And I know when I was describing like pretty much how small this island was, they have one theater, like one movie theater on the island. And, it, and of course it was on the opposite end of the island to where we were. So <laughs> we couldn't go see any movies there, but I know I, I don't know if I'm necessarily super artsy. I like art. I'm just not very talented in it, <laughs> but I'm like, if it's that small, I could see them, you know. Sure. But when I describe Molokai, I don't know if this has changed because it's been a while since we've been there. But I would say that it is a one stoplight town or like a one stop island. Last time we were there, the whole island had one stoplight. Hmm. I mean, I guess that I guess that's true. <laughs> I used to just tell people in the middle of the night, like 10 o'clock at night for this is what we do for entertainment. Like you'd go get bread. Okay, so it's, great bread. it's not just it's not just at the bakery. You got to go down an alley and then another side alley, and they're all it's like all covered with graffiti. You knock on this big wooden door. This big guy with like this little apron could come out and look really intimidating, and they had like seriously the best bread that you ever had. Yeah, there was often a line. Yeah, it was freaking delicious, and it, you can only it was only like at ten at night. I'm sure they had an actual bakery that you can go to during the day, but that's just not as fun. Anyway, I'm sorry. Back to the actual podcast uh, stuff. <laughs> Let me see here. So yeah, it, it is possible. Blake could be a fantastic musical theater person. I guess we'll just have to see. <laughs> Let me see here. Do you want to move on with... Mm -hmm. All right. So basically, after he gets done procrastinating and describing everything around him as best as possible, he goes inside. We get a good look at the surroundings inside the house and the first glimpse of his dysfunctional family. And oh boy, <laughs> it's dysfunctional, all right? <laughs> right. But before he goes upstairs, the one thing I wanted to point out was the litter box, right? So there is a clean litter box because the cat does not use the litter box because the cat is a familiar for the grandma and the cat does not need to poop in the box. I mean, like, I guess maybe the cat could still want to, but it seems like that's why it's super clean. Like, that's why it's pointed out that it's clean. Mm. That's true. Kind of a weird thing I noticed while rereading this again, that I'm not going to say if it's important or not. It might be really important. It might not. Uh, there's a box of colorful cereal in the kitchen, which just, I don't know. I don't know if that seems like a Grandma Rose thing, but. I feel like Grandma Rose may indulge sometimes but i think it's a little bit more likely that like maybe the cat when it's not in cat form really likes cereal or something like maybe it could be for grandma rose but like maybe not slash maybe it's no wait maybe it's for one of her grandkids who they like brought it that probably makes more sense um but you never know i mean that could just be an unsolved mystery in the story so we have quite a few of his family, basically, um, at this house. And they're all dressed in black. They're not acting very dignified, <laughs> however. They're kind of, like, yelling and cursing at each other, which is great. You know, really calm, nice environment for a one-and-a-half-year-old. But basically, they see Blake come up, and they're kind of, I guess, shocked that he's there. <laughs> He ends up going and talking to his parents, who he hasn't seen in, what what was it, about three years? Yeah, it seemed, I think he left three years ago. Don't bother giving him a hug or anything, but just being like, uh, you're all right? <laughs> you're not in trouble? And he's like, I mean, yeah, I'm, I 
can't help but notice you got tattoos. Oh, thanks, Dad. Glad to see you're so concerned about my well-being. Yeah, it was really sad. And it kind of took me a bit because I'm not, you know, we're just introduced to the story. It didn't really hit me emotionally as much the first time. The fact that like they don't go to him and they don't, you know, freak out with excitement when they haven't seen or heard from their child in three years. Because I was like, I don't know who any of these people are either. Like, I don't know what's going on. But it's it's really awful and sad. And like, I was thinking to myself, like, did they do enough? And like, no, like <laughs> to, to find Blake. I mean, like they asked around, they talked to the police, but then that was it. And like thinking about like our parents, like they'd be in the streets. Like my mom would drive to like every person's house that she knew that I ever knew or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like they would not be okay I spent the night at someone's house once in college without telling her about it. And she legitimately called all of my friends what? asking if I was alive. <laughs> so yeah, Love she it. would definitely be out there. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, mom about that. And it was, well, it was just really sad. Cause like he, like the, he says like he would have gone back, you know? So I'm yeah. kind of like, is this a cry for attention? Cause it seems like his mid problem with his parents is that they don't care enough. Um, Mm -hmm. And they weren't, like, I don't know if involved enough is the right term. Blake's also stubborn enough to, like, remain homeless and different things. Mm -hmm. Which was hardcore. But it was really sad. Yeah. And I have in my notes that the lawyer found him. But the lawyer's a practitioner, so it doesn't matter. Okay, we don't say anything about that. You're just assuming things. (laughs) Definitely a practitioner. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, well, we'll get there a little bit later as well. Let me see. So after he talks to his parents, he sees Callan, um, his cousin, who's first thing is just like, you're wearing paint colored jeans. And why the hell did you come? We all thought you were like, most of us thought you were dead or something. <laughs> just like, yeah, thanks. Callan sucks. <laughs> yeah, he kind of sucks. Anyway, so his good cousins seem to be Paige and Molly. So ends up seeing Paige first. And... She tries to give him a hug, and he flinches pretty badly, and really took her back. Yeah. Yeah. This was kind of a good character-building moment for Blake, I thought, because both because it's like, okay, he doesn't like to be touched, but also this has something that has changed in the past three years. It really makes me curious about his, like, backstory, his time living on the streets, and then also since, because he refers to, like, it was weird talking to someone who didn't know the story. And so I assume he's really like close and open with the people who are in his life now, mm-hmm. but they were also there during whatever sort of trauma he experienced. And it was just really sad. And it was also like, Oh, and then he tried and it was like so awkward and horrible. But I, I bet, know. I hope Paige appreciated it because I don't know it. He, I really appreciated that he tried to have that connection with his cousin again. It was, ugh. Yeah, I mean, she, I, I think she appreciated it. Um, she seems to care about him quite a lot. Mm-hmm. He does kind of open up to her a bit, like a little bit, just kind of saying like, yeah, I was on the streets for a bit. Wasn't really a, a fun time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> kind of talks about how he bought his first motorbike by himself and all this mm-hmm. stuff. So that's kind of cool. They have a little bit of small talk going, a little bit of opening up, which is really good. I feel like Blake needed that. Let me see. They do kind of talk about as well, like some of the stories about the house, um, kind of how weird it was being there and some of the old like rumors and things that they had heard. (laughs) 
Yeah. One point that I drew out of that conversation, as I think Molly's there by that point, was Paige says, I love arguing semantics. And she'd also already said, or Blake had already said, somebody had already said that she wanted to go to law school. And as a law student, that just made me like crack up because she's going to love it. <laughs> it's the perfect place for her. Oh, and specifically, yeah, specifically that's talking about the duel. So there was a duel when one of our ancestors married or murdered, not married. I mean, they probably married someone too, since they were talking about how like their great grandparents were hooking up. But uh, No, the duel where one of our ancestors murdered someone and then Paige said killed. I don't think it counts as murder if it's during a duel. And then that's where Molly's like semantics. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, so it seems like these three kind of have a good like rapport going on. They thank goodness that some people in this family can get along because holy crap, <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> and we kind of skipped Molly coming in, but she came in as well, just talking a little bit. And she does interestingly tell Paige, like, don't take the offer, mm-hmm. which is interesting, right? Right, because so Molly's younger, which means based on the pattern that has been established, the older cousins going into the room first, that Molly hasn't talked to Grandma Rose So it seems like she doesn't know exactly what the offer. I mean, like everyone knows it's the house, but she seems both to know more about the specifics and the particulars, but also that's really interesting because she hasn't been in the room yet. And she talks about how they've been living in the town. And so she's probably had more exposure to Grandma Rose. It makes me wonder if she's at this point aware. Okay, cool. New prediction on the fly. Molly's aware. Capital A. Okay. But I think that... Yeah, I mean, she just she helps build up the tension and also like the tragedy of what happens to her is like further established in this moment. Mm-hmm. Molly really ratchets up the tension with like everybody hates me and like not me personally, but like us in this town, like everybody in this town, like knows who we are and hates us and like don't do it. But she doesn't say why, which is very frustrating. But it just yeah, it was a really interesting mm-hmm. moment. That was kind of interesting when she was talking about all that, like. About a third of the people around here have decided where they're mortal enemies. That's got to be more than parking, right? Mm. So, well, I thought it was funny. That's fine. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so yeah, Paige and Peter go in and come out after, and basically Paige is just furious at Peter because she's accused him of making up lies to make it so that she wouldn't get the inheritance. Yeah, he was like, what? You thought I'd be on your side? (laughs) (laughs) Right, which leads me to think that they didn't grow up together for some reason, which I just, why? I'm just, I'm curious. But also it was really interesting to me that they go in at the same time Mm -hmm. because, I mean, there's this big thing about birth order and like they're twins. And I mean, presumably one of them was born first because if not, oh my God. (laughs) 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 But like, there there seems to be this like, thing about it but it also seems shitty that like everyone else gets a chance to defend themselves or something but also the boys going in it's like you're not going to give it to them so are you just asking them to rat on each other in which case why don't you have like the parents also involved like it was just sort of weird and suspicious so my my theory one of my theories is to or i don't know if we should get into that now my theory is to one of grandma rose's criteria for picking people Uh, sure i'm kind of curious Okay, yeah. So I, I, well, I think that her big thing. So Grandma Rose is a practitioner. I don't need to justify myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. But so I think her thing is she's a practitioner and her house is a domain, right? 
and she wants to pass <laughs> her house on to someone who can handle, right? She wants to make sure that the person who's going to inherit this house can deal with the practice, right? Okay. And so in the same way, sort of, that, like, Miss was like, okay, Kenneteers, like, go a whole weekend without lying. I think that Grandma is, like, probing her grandchildren to kind of see, like, who's being the most truthful. And so it seemed really important that Paige and Peter came out and Peter says, like, I didn't say anything that wasn't true. But Paige was like, no, you made up lies to sink me. And it's like, okay, obviously one of them is lying in that moment. Yeah, that's true. And I wonder if grandma was kind of like Paige was lying and so she can't handle or something. Like, I'm kind of curious because Blake also says that, like, Paige is, like, really similar to grandma in a lot of ways, except that she's not horrible. (laughs) So it seems like they would have an affinity and she'd be like, oh, yes, like an aspiring lawyer. Like, this is so great. Like, have everything. But something in that room presumably happened that had to do with the things that Peter was saying and the things that Paige was saying. I don't know Mm -hmm. if she was a lie detector or what, but that seemed really important. Yeah. Okay. No, that's pretty interesting. I think we're going to talk about, like, going in next. And I thought it was really interesting that Blake wasn't called, but he was summoned to the house. Mm. Well, he cuts in, though. So maybe he would have been called, right? Well, no. Well, I mean, no, right? Because, and I don't know why. I mean, maybe the lawyer just, like, didn't notice that he had arrived or something, or they just assumed that he wasn't going to be there. But it seemed kind of important upon, like, thinking about it for, like, the eighth time that Blake has to cut in, because that's where he is in the birth order, and they're like, we're into that today or something and so he has to assert himself and i don't know if grandma was just mm-hmm. like hey, fuck him or if like what but that was weird yeah that's true it could have been another another test or something i don't know yes but yeah so luckily molly gives him permission to go first because they call for molly but she's like yeah you go ahead and then blake goes in and sees grandma rose he's not exactly subtle when it comes to how he's feeling <laughs> Right. Well, so I guess a final note about the Blake cutting in that I, uh-huh. I just, I, it, it shows how much all the cousins care about each other because Blake doesn't just assert himself. He kind of does it like to, it seems like maybe to give Molly some time and some space and also Paige so that Molly can go and comfort Paige. It was like a really yeah. nice moment. That's true. Like he's yeah. a good guy. Yeah. In the middle of all this terrible family stuff. But yeah, he basically goes in and you know, grandma looks pretty, pretty good in terms. She doesn't really look like she's about to die. Room smells like flowers and fresh air, like pretty much opposite of death. So <laughs> doesn't really seem like she's about to kick the bucket. But, you know, she's propped up. She's got some, got her nurse and she has her lawyer right there. And she has like a really big house cat that's just chilling. <laughs> All right. What are your thoughts on this part, Malia? I feel like you really like this part. I really like this part. I want to start by saying that I understand that Grandma Rose is a bad person, but, like, (laughs) I love her. Like, I don't want to know her in real life. I think she's a horrible person. I don't want to, like, be around her. But also, like, this is a woman who, instead of having a welcome mat, was like, no, I don't want, I don't care if you're here. This is my house. This is my space. And I'm going to let you know that immediately because my initials are going to be monogrammed on this fucking doornet with roses which is probably the smell he's smelling because her name is rose and it's her house and she does not give a fuck and i love it she's obviously a practitioner right because this whole conversation is riddled with her being very particular about words and being very 
probing as to Blake's truthfulness. His, I want to say veracity. I don't remember if that's the right word. Anyway, she doesn't look like she's about to die. Her death is like obviously maybe magical or something. But she also knows that she's about to die. Like there's some shenanigans with a curse or a time limit on the domain or something. But yeah, this part's so great because Blake Blake is great. It was, every time I read the like things he says to her at the very beginning, it's very shocking. But also she's just kind of like, mm-hmm. and like, <laughs> I love it. And I love how he gets her to shed a little bit of her bullshit and be a little bit more real with him. I think she really likes that. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that maybe she... I mean, I don't see her talk with Molly, but I can see her like vibing with Blake a lot and maybe thinking like, okay, this kid, like maybe I should choose him, except I can't because I said it was going to be a girl and therefore that's happening. Oh, and there was a, in, there was a moment when I first read it where I thought Blake was trans because I thought grandma was being a dick because she said something about like, oh, and I'm going to give it to a female grandchild. And I thought she was insinuating like, oh, Blake, you're trans. You're actually a girl. But he doesn't respond like, fuck you, grandma. I'm a man. Like, go away. He's just kind of like, okay, whatever. Like, and I was like, oh, okay, so I don't think he's trans. Yeah, he probably would have. I mean, he started out with calling her, let me see, what is this? Um, <laughs> a disgusting, evil, rancid cunt, which. That's a lot. I mean, I know cunt's not that bad of a word in Australia, but <laughs> at least, I mean, if it's anything, what, like, the U.S. I'm assuming in Canada, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad here, but yeah. So he probably wouldn't have held back with with that. If no, no, Blake is not there to make friends. No, Blake is there to like give his cousin some time and to yell at his grandma. <laughs> yes, but yeah, he definitely gives her a good chunk of his mind, which is great. And she's definitely using her words very carefully. Doesn't really care about the money part. It seems like she's like, oh, this ridiculous money business. What do you think about that she's not giving it to her kids? Like it's going to the grandkids. Yeah, I don't have a super great guess necessarily. So I was thinking about this, right? Because in Pale, practitioner families, and they talk about it in like the about section for Pale or whatever, they tend to pass on the practice Mm -hmm. because repetition and expectations and things like that especially in families, like always passing it down to your kids can really strengthen like their whole practice and their whole thing. But it seems like her three... Mm, I'm also a little unclear as to who exactly her children are. It seems like she did not introduce her children to the practice. And it makes me wonder like, because it seems like she makes some comment about her father and I'm kind of like, okay, your dad was a practitioner. She doesn't talk about her husband. And so maybe her husband wasn't a practitioner or something. She also has her own initials monogrammed. And so like, I don't think she cared, but like there's, so she's really into the whole female grandchild and I'm thinking maybe. So yeah, so I'm a law student as we've mentioned and in property that I took like a year and a half ago, we talked about different ways to like bequeath property. And so when you write something into your will, you can specify like really ridiculous things and so something that they don't really have anymore, but that they used to have is called a fee-tailed male. Fee-tail being that it goes from person to person to person, like to your heirs in your line. And when there's no more heirs in your line, the property reverts back to like someone else. Sometimes like the original owner who granted it to you. Sometimes someone else they might specify. But so the people in that line don't have any control over to like who they get the property to. Oh, Jane Austen. There we go. In Pride and Prejudice, the 
girls, they can't inherit because the way that Mr. Bennett inherited the property was through this type of land bequeathal thing, which is a big plot point, right? Because they are of a high enough class where they can't, quote unquote, can't work Mm. to earn money. So one of the only ways to get money is by like owning land and property and stuff. Um, So Mrs. Bennett is very, very concerned with marrying off her daughters because otherwise they're like going to be poor because they are not going to inherit because it's inextricably a female male, which means it's going to the next male relative, which is Mr. Collins. Anyway. Interesting. So I was thinking that this domain is somehow a female female because I know from the pact, nope, from the pale extra materials that domain can live on after people die. And so I was thinking that if her biological children are all boys, like maybe Aunt Irene married her son, who's not around anymore, which is why Molly has the same last name as everybody else. And then it's Paul and then Blake's dad, right? Mm, mm-hmm. If those are the three brothers, okay, then she has to give this house to a woman for some reason. Anyway, that was that was the legal corner. <laughs> All right. News for the day. That was a good that was a good one. That's pretty interesting. All right. So y'all learned some legal stuff today. Very cool. And so did I. <laughs> That's definitely a good food for thought. I guess moving on from that. Next thing I see in the note is that Blake couldn't accept a cup of tea because he was gonna throw it at her. Well, I was going to say, so this is part of my Grandma Rose is a practitioner theory. Uh-huh. It, this is a theory in the way that like gravity is a theory where it's like, <laughs> quote unquote, a theory, but like it's fact, right? <laughs> um, so like she's very particular about, well, like the, like what you already mentioned, right? Where she like doesn't, she's like, oh, they care about the money. That's so whatever. Because like she has the practice, right? Like she cares about this thing that's so much more, like the house to her is so much more than like the money that can be gained from selling it. Mm-hmm. And I love this. This is uh, I, I didn't notice this to my second read through and I was really excited. But the male nurse who I think is like an other maybe or a practitioner or something. He definitely knows what's going on. Um, <laughs> but he he offers Blake tea. He's like, I can offer you a cup of tea if you promise not to throw it at her, which is really funny. But then Blake is also like, OK, don't give me tea then because I'm going to fucking throw it at her, which is like evidence of Blake's like truthfulness and stuff like Blake wasn't going to make a promise and then break it immediately um, and he was upfront about that and honest and like whatever and I think grandma really liked that and was paying attention to that because that means he maybe won't get forsworn as easily or something mm. because he wasn't going to make a promise and then go back on it which is very important for the practice she also is very like obsessed with She's like, are you accusing me of being a liar? Like, Blake almost like fucking gainsays his grandma like on her death day or whatever. But then he doesn't. He kind of like thinks about it. And it's kind of like, no, technically the thing that you said wasn't exactly a lie or something. I don't remember exactly how he says it. But it was like this funny, this like really funny moment. Because I was like, ha you're going to gainsay your grandma. She's great. Anyway. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to remember which uh, chapter this is. And I can't quite find it in my scrambled attempts to look but i just thought i'd point out to you as well in pale do you remember at all like i think they first kind of introduced it when they went to edith and matthew's house for, for that barbecue mm-hmm. do you remember when they were kind of talking about how like offering like offering something to eat and drink and stuff like that 
Oh, like w- would you tie? Them? Kind of. Yeah, I just I just thought that was kind of interesting in terms of like they offered him tea. I, like I wonder if they if that kind of applies or like do you have any thoughts or am I just like making up crap? That's possible. No, too. this is great. Um, <laughs> and I wish that I had reviewed that sooner. I'm making this like big notes page with all the pale information, but I just started doing it. Um, so I have to flush that out. But but this reminds me of when Charles talks about being forsworn. And the spirits really care about like hospitality mm-hmm. um, and like guest rights or like a really important like historical thing that is like passed down because he was kind of like, oh, when like Alexander like broke his or when he cut his foot or whatever, because I pushed the table like that was like such a big deal because of like the guest rights and hospitality laden in with that. Yeah. And I feel like accepting food creates like this hospitality guest like compact where like I've accepted this thing from you and it needs to be you need to not be poisoning me or whatever, but also like accepting the thing means that you have taken on certain like guest responsibilities i think mm-hmm. i mean it could just be tea because the nurse could just be a nurse it doesn't have to be another mm. nurse mm. i mean it could just be like mm. tea and then like well i'm not gonna let you use it as a hot missile for my <laughs> infirm grandma here um, <laughs> yeah she's fine <laughs> okay <laughs> we also note that She's a lawyer. <laughs> Woo! I was so happy. This is so funny. And that plays into my whole, like, some of my, I mean, not really my theories, but just like, actually, it plays into a huge theory that's going to drop at the end of this podcast. All right. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to save some of the really big theories for the end just to, you know. Uh, no, I'm, sav- I'm saving the one. Saving so does, one. I actually didn't put this in the notes. Um, All right. I have a big, bold, specific prediction. <laughs> All right, I'm very excited to hear to hear this. So, ends up leaving with a bang, essentially, and going sitting outside, waiting until basically I think it was like a quarter to midnight, something like that, something yeah. around there. Um, and then everybody gets goes back inside, and then Grandma Rose comes out, basically is like, "Well, you guys are all a disappointment," <laughs> and tells uh, who gets the inheritance after all. <laughs> And it was just really great because then Blake was like, don't worry, the feeling is mutual. And everyone else was like shocked because they're all like, oh, my God, the money. And it's kind of like he's not going to get it because he's a boy. But it's also really funny. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't care. No. no. <laughs> so drops the bomb. Poor Molly gets the inheritance. And she's like, I don't want it. And Grandma is like, well, you remain free to ignore it. And what does he say exactly? Basically, it'll get passed on to the next. No, it's like. It's going to remain in like a trust or something until she's 25 and then she can like sell it or get rid of it or whatever yeah. at that point. But until she's 25, she can like live on it and do a bunch of stuff with it, but she can't sell it or something mm-hmm. until she's 25. That's right. She really doesn't want it, but everyone else is like, oh, I'll take it because they're a bunch of greedy people. But she ends up just making everybody get out. Interestingly... Even though they both, they, everyone looked super healthy, midnight exactly, Grandma and Cat die at the same time. Yeah. Which is very interesting. I don't know if this is like a curse or what, because I haven't run into that too much in Pale. But there's a lot of talk about familiars and Snowdrop and like wanting to extend Snowdrop's life in Pale, right? Uh-huh. So it's kind of like, oh, a- like Avery's big motivation. Um, right now she's like decided to make snowdrop her familiar that hasn't happened yet but that's happening is because she's like oh snowdrop is a possum 
and they don't live very long and I want Snowdrop to be around. So uh-huh. a big motivation is tying their lifespans yeah. together, kind of. So the cat died immediately because the cats are familiar, right? I don't know why Midnight, it seems very the practice and very dramatic. They're really into like the big entrances and the big exits. And it seems like at the stroke of midnight is like, yep, very much a thing. True. But I don't know why. And I don't know why she knew about it. I don't, I don't get it. I think it has to do with the house. I'm really obsessed with the house. Okay. All right. Like everyone else in this family. Yeah. Everybody's obsessed with the house. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, Blake reaches out and tells Ooh, Molly. But before. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. So my, my, the, the male nurse is an other theory. I guess I should just stop saying male nurse and just say nurse. But um, anyway, so the, the nurse is an other theory because grandma gives the nurse some money. She's like, some of this money's going to you. You've been amazing. And he like freaks out. He's kind of like, it's not allowed, which was very much like brownie vibes to me, mm. kind of that like the brownies were going to eat him or whatever, because like. He was doing a thing that wasn't allowed, but also like it felt like there was some sort of like deal or pact huh, or whatever. Mm. And that giving money was somehow either imbalancing that or doing something like if I mean, OK, sure, this could be the type of thing where like at Disney World, when you work certain positions, you're not supposed to accept tips, but it's the other verse. So it's magic. Hmm. All right. <laughs> whatever you say, you know, that could be right. It could be. Yeah. I mean, it might be right. That might be totally it. But yeah, then Molly kicks them all out. Yeah, which was Molly in a way, kind of like taking some ownership of the house. It seemed because mm-hmm. Grandma was like, "You can ignore this." But Molly's options were like to go home with like her family. That's gonna and like maybe Molly doesn't want the house because she doesn't want everyone to be like, "Give me money." But also, she there's something else, you know? Yeah, because it's the practice. True. She in like taking the authority and kicking everyone out and being like yeah like the, the lawyer will call the cops on you like talk to my lawyer i think took enough ownership of it that she was wrapped up enough in it or if she had just like gone home some practitioner would have like found her and killed her and then it would have just been like uh moving on blake wouldn't true. have had four nice months true in his house that's right so i mean with that blake goes home for four months nothing happens it's like the most peaceful part of his life, probably. <laughs> and then he has a really unsettling dream, which is very interesting. So take me through the dream, Malia. Okay, so vision one, right? Uh-huh. It's a table, a long table. One side is a bunch of blonde women and girls that are wearing like specific matching-ish colors. And then the other side is just like a bunch of people bunch of people who i think looked like they're part of one family but like we're different ages different genders different whatever and so they know that something has happened they know there's a disturbance in the force Mm. they kind of like mention grandma rose i hope she would slip in her old age she made other arrangements so i like they know molly's dead they know things have changed they know the domain has shifted hands and they have thoughts about it these seem to be some of grandma's like enemies or whatever that the girl in the mirror references i think she meant references them anyway and they are in the midst in this vision of um, arranging a marriage between what i believe might be a coven okay all the blonde women because they're all women and maybe they just make them all dye their hair yeah anyway and then the this practitioner family seemed to be maybe some sort of arranged marriage or just two practitioner families vision number two what we have may or may not be two witch hunters (laughs) or 
more awoken versions of witch hunters. I think, I don't know if witch hunters can be awoken or if that's the right term, but they seem like they're out to like hunt down some shit because that's what they like doing. And like a metronome falls over and Blake is viewing like through the metronome. I don't know if I'm assuming like a magical metronome that like measures disturbances in the practice vibes. I mean, they might like music. They might play, play an instrument, you know? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> the musical yeah, that's, witch hunter. That's probably Everyone's not. musical. <laughs> but so it's, it's, they get in a really funny twilight dig about the sparkly vampires out West. And they also are kind of like anything that can knock the metronome over isn't human anymore or won't be for long. And it's like, wait, is Blake turning into another? Like, I thought this story was about Blake turning into a practitioner. Like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> don't know. Unclear. Mm. But then it's also like maybe he isn't knocking it over. Like maybe in the last vision, Johannes, Johannes is like manipulating things or like he's seeing the scrying bull, which is Johannes jumping around seeing things. It was, it was very unclear. Okay. Okay. Who knows? There's, yeah. <laughs> no one knows. Not me. I have no idea. I'm lying. And then we got some Irish people in a snowy field that seemed to be some sort of like master apprentice relationship because like the, I'll give you that one for free, like questions and answers have prices or whatever, who also are aware of this thing. Okay. They're Irish because their names are Maggie and Patrick. I can't pronounce anything. I'm very sorry. There's a girl pointing at a rabbit who might be her familiar or something at least an other or something i was thinking maybe blake was viewing it through like a frozen pond because she like throws a rock and it shatters yeah and she seems aware that she's being watched probably knows about the disturbance in the force then there's a weathered aboriginal woman brushing a young girl's hair and then she shackles the girl it gives me really strong like tangled vibes like she's like sucking the life force out of this girl Okay. Which was really spooky. Yeah. She also seems to know that she's being watched and dismisses the whatever. And then finally, the last one that's described is a man on a throne at the top of a tower with his dog, who is also his familiar, in part because it speaks. And it notices Blake first. There's an important note about the the, the scene of Jacob's Bell, I believe, being lit up in Crimson Sunset. Either that or like, I should have paid more attention. That the other scenes had been at night. I don't remember if it's Jacob's Bell that's in Sunset or the guy in the tower that's in Sunset or both. But that mm. seemed important. I don't know okay. if it's like we're seeing into the future or we're seeing into the past or we're seeing people on the East Coast and we're on the West Coast, which doesn't fit in with my later theory. So I can read you the little excerpt if you want. Um, so it says, so below him, the small village sprawled, Jacob's Bell, except things were different. A twisted reflection of the buildings with embellishments and decorations, arches, steepled roofs, pointed roofs that curled and bent in zigzags, all lit up in crimson sun- sunset. The other scenes mm. had been at night. Okay. Which kind of makes it sound like he had been viewing things through that scrying pool thing because Johanna seems to know some of what Blake saw. He says, resist the urge to dismiss what you just saw. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, okay, like what were the other people experiencing? Were they experiencing Blake or were they experiencing Johannes? Or were they experiencing both? Was Blake sucked into some other realm and like bouncing around things? I don't know. But also Johannes's sketch. I don't trust him. Don't trust what they're saying about me. Like, okay. I don't know what they're saying about you, but okay. Jenny says, Jenny says, <laughs> I should let you say it. Wait, what do I say? You push back on my distrust of Johannes. I mean, 
I just feel like, you know, he might be totally a good guy. He might be a great guy. Like, I'm trying to remember what I said exactly. Okay, so for, for one, like, yeah, you do have to think, like, it does seem to be good advice to resist the urge to dismiss what he saw. Right? Like, that does seem like pretty solid advice. I mean, he, he offers help for a price, but, you know, yeah. who knows what that means. You know, because yeah. he could carry your groceries for the price of, like, your firstborn child. You know, he doesn't specify how he, how even all that is. Uh, but he does tell, he does say, like, you're in a bad enough situation. Resist the urge to dismiss what you just saw and do yourself a favor and wake up. Which, that all seemed like pretty good advice. Because I feel like, yeah. you know, without, it's kind of hard to give my opinion on that without, you know, going one way or another on that. But just that part seems like probably good advice. It, it does seem like he's being relatively straightforward with him. And I do think that the don't dismiss this and hey, wake up now are both good pieces of advice. Yeah. That was the dream. Yeah, definitely spooky. So basically, wakes up, feels like real crap. <laughs> Ends up going into the bathroom, probably going to splash some water on his face and like look in the mirror. And he looks in the mirror and he sees a girl in the reflection. She warns him to get the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah. And she... She also delivers really sad news because I was already emotionally invested that Molly is dead, which was very sad. Yeah. And that Blake is next. <laughs> yes. Which is adrenaline inducing. I've got to say, like, this part is probably, like, one of my favorites in terms of, like, most cliffhangery sections. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, I love it. It's a great way to build tension. It's a great, yeah, like, way to, like, propel you into the story. I already, I'm sad about Molly. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? But it's also, like, he says she looks familiar, which doesn't really help because, like, we don't know anyone in the story. But that was a thing, I guess. But that was interesting. Also, like, the mirror, right? Like, she breaks the mirror. And mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, okay, is she, like, is this like a Percy Jackson situation where like you can communicate through Iris message, which is when you talk to people in like the mist of a fountain with a, with a rainbow where it's just like, it's like zoom, right. Where you can like see each other. Or is this like, this woman is like in another dimension, like in the mirror world, like Alice in Wonderland type shit. Like, mm. I don't know, but I don't know. Those are. I feel like I need things. to read Percy Jackson again. <laughs> I don't know why that was the first thing to come to mind. Y'all are going to learn all the other book series I like by the end of this, I'm hey. sure. Just hey, that's by my fine. References. That's always good. More books are better. And like Molly left the house and I'm like, why the fuck did you leave? Because it seems like she was tricked out or scared out or something. But like if the house is a domain, like, okay, so the house is a domain, right? Because like Molly left equals Molly died. I mean, I guess she doesn't, like the girl doesn't explicitly say the house, but like I'm assuming that like the safe space or whatever she was mentioning was like the house, right? Because like, it's a domain. Well, I'm assuming. Yeah, it says, so she said the house is sanctuary, Blake. Molly died because she panicked and she left the safe ground. Right. So. And I think that's a big part. That's, that is like probably the best evidence for my theory that the house is a domain, right? Because domains can protect you and you can control who gets in and who gets out and like all of this stuff. And mm -hmm. maybe Molly wasn't like fully awoken yet. She didn't understand like the power of a domain. And I mean, domains can be penetrated. Mm -hmm. But I think that. Like, th that line is my strongest evidence for the house of domain. Okay. All right. So, are we ready to get to your bold and specific prediction? Because I'm pretty curious. 
Oh, I'm ready. Okay. All right, go ahead. <laughs> I'm curious. Okay. So my bold and specific prediction is about the type of practitioner that Grandma Rose is. And I believe that Grandma Rose is a karmic law practitioner. Okay. And then I stare deeply into Jenny's eyes <laughs> to see if All she right. gives a anything away. A karmic law practitioner. Okay. Uh, talk about how you've come to this conclusion. Okay. I don't know what a karmic law practitioner is. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good start. <laughs> so I was, I was trying to I, like bolster my claim about the house being a domain. So I went and I read the domain text in the pale extra materials and I took notes. Right. Okay. So the thing I didn't expect was the domain extra materials for pale was actually provided a lot more information about different types of practitioners. And I was going through and they're talking about all these schools. Right. And so you get to the quote unquote schools of security. Okay. And one of the ones, the, the very last one he mentions as a throwaway line at the very end of this thing is the karmic law practices. Right. What have we established so far? We've established that the grandma is a lawyer. And this is the karmic law practice. So obviously, check, right? We've also established that everybody in this village fucking hates these people, right? Which seems like it could have something to do with karma. Okay. Point two, right? Yeah. Point three, this is a school of security, okay? And in the textbook, it said that the schools of security and the schools of realm are the two, like, most connected to and most involved with like domains in general okay. the schools of security was like the one where they talked about the woman who was a politician for this town and the the economic despair or whatever spirit was going to come and like wreck everything mm -hmm. and she and her family had erected like a line of domains to like stave off this force yeah which is my source for domains can't exist after you die and and the, so the whole thing with the schools of security is like warding off harm and so again don't know what a karmic law practice is, but I have a note about, okay. Oh uh, yeah. Just, it's a really big domains are a really big deal for the schools of realms and security for security, particularly because they are like fortresses, right? Yeah. They like they like, it's all just, it's all the walls, the big ugly walls and the no parking signs because oh my you gosh. can't let people, up on your shit, right? So, like, the domain, right? You gotta protect it, and you gotta claim it. You gotta claim the area. And if people can park in front of your domain, that lessens your claim, right? That's right. And then also, Molly leaving, right? The domain, because it's such a safe place, because we're all security people, right? Mm -hmm. And then, the, the other thing that I've thought about is in that textbook, they talk about, like, the claim, and, like, how when you claim an area as yours, as your domain, it's really like hard and scary. And that domains are like the most difficult of the three major Western rituals, because when you declare like, this is my space, everybody's like, cool, I'm going to try challenge that lol. Like there was the, there was a guy in the textbook who claims a space specifically to try to like attract this one other that he was hunting or whatever. So I think that that dream was the domain is officially Blake's, right? The disturbance in the force, but okay. also the like, hey, everybody, like, Blake has claimed this thing now. Go fucking fight him. Mm. Because this is a fee tail domain situation. <laughs> <laughs> and Blake has to get there for the security 
and stuff. All right. And those are all my really brilliant. I like <laughs> it. Specific That's great. Okay. Well, we will see. We'll fortunately find out relatively soon if you're right or not about cool. the pra- what kind of practitioner. So are you hoping that like Blake is going to follow her footsteps and just like have like a family of lawyers? <laughs> I don't think Blake would do very well as a lawyer. I mean, his like rhetorical skills seem pretty solid. Mm hmm. But I think he'd find a lot of the bullshit and a lot of the, like, structural pettiness mm-hmm. of the law to be very frustrating. And I know a lot of people who similarly are very frustrated with the law who are in law school yeah, and want to, like, dismantle things. So maybe, but I don't see him liking it. But I don't know. I'm curious as to whether he has a choice. That's a question. That's That's a good question. Because, like, practitioner family and this domain and, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see. He also could be turning into another. What if he turns into the domain? Ooh, ooh, ooh. That's the whole secret. When you bring objects into a domain, they become incorporated into part of the domain and they're harder to take out. So maybe like grandma had to die because she had to like use her life force to like strengthen the domain. Mm. That's probably not it. That's not a. Yeah. Okay. You're not going to. You're not listening. That as a bold prediction on your part. You're just. That's a. It's a specific prediction, but it is not a bold prediction. Okay. All right. (laughs) Well, that was a pretty interesting discussion, I feel like. So I look forward to continuing on and keep reading and see what you think. We do have a discussion question. We're going to try to come up with these as often as possible. Might not be every week, but we'll try to incorporate it. We do want to try to compare pale and... I guess before we get to the discussion question, like, just because our podcast is all about pale in comparison. So I guess, what are your thoughts about this first chapter compared to, I guess, the first chapter of pale that I read out loud to you? (laughs) Right. So that's really interesting because so you read me the prologue, right? And this doesn't have a prologue. Mm -hmm. Um, It jumps right into the action. You know who the protagonist is. You know what's happening. Yes. They're both about smallish towns. I don't actually know if this is set in Canada, but they might both be set in Canada, which is kind of neat. Mm -hmm. They are both confusing. (laughs) That's fair. Because one thing is like, this would be completely incomprehensible if I hadn't read Pale. Mm. Because I'm able to be like, this is the practice and this is the domain and this is whatever, whatever. Yeah. Because I know what all those things are. And if they were just like, here you go, like go like i would have been like oh the male nurse can't take tips and like oh grandma's mean and like i (laughs) i would have realized there was some that's kind of interesting i mean i I see what you mean but like okay comparing those first two though like Uh which one seems more incomprehensible because for me oh no yeah the prologue is that's what i was gonna say the prologue was like super bizarre yes the moon was bleeding her eyes are bleeding yeah no it was Definitely pretty bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, I mean, yeah, I feel like, yeah, when I read Pact, I mean, the first chapter made sense. And I was just more like, what, what the heck is happening? <laughs> like, this is, this is crazy. That, yeah, um, yeah. And Pale, yeah, I was definitely a lot of what the heck is happening. Because <laughs> I was, all I knew is like, it's the same universe as Pact. And so I was like, oh, well, this is supposed to be lighter. <laughs> Like, there's the moon's bleeding. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, he he really goes hard in the first like arc of Pale, and then he's like, hmm, let's draw back a little. Yeah, yeah, no, I I enjoyed them both quite a bit. I think that because Pale is set up as a murder mystery, mm-hmm. I was like more prepared for it to not make sense. If that makes sense, sure. Like I was kind of like, okay, cool. There's going to be a whole bunch of stuff I don't understand. And I mean, like now if I was reading Pale, like if if I had done what a lot of people did and read Pact and then Pale. I would have been like, oh, cool, these are others. And oh, cool, those are practitioners. But I would have been like, why is the moon bleeding? <laughs> like, like, yeah. What is going on? And so I think that going from Pact to Pale, Pale's prologue is going to be more confusing than going from Pale to Pact. That's fair. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how, as the story goes on, what you think of it. All right. Now to our discussion question. So, and we're going to be posting this on a Reddit thread. So you can either comment on that thread or send us an email if you want to give us a response, what your thoughts are to this. But how would you compare your first impression of Blake's family with your first impression of the pale protagonist families? And if you want to pick one and highlight, say, like Verona's family or something, if it feels a little too ambitious, you can. But if you also want to do all of them like go go for for it it. yeah more the merrier but yeah i feel like that's kind of an interesting comparison so i'll be looking Mm -hmm. forward to any answers that we get just please no no spoilers for pact in your episodes hopefully jenny will be the one that's reading them yes for and filtering them out but i would love to read your answers too and so try not to try not to spoil spoil them please yeah or at least cover those spoilers up if anything and i can share the unspoiler bits Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and leave a rating and review. You can follow us on Twitter at Pale Comparison or send us an email at paleincomparisonpod at gmail.com. Keep an eye out for our Reddit thread where you can share your thoughts about our discussion question and let us know what you think about the podcast. Also, consider contributing to Wild Bo's Patreon at patreon.com slash wildbow. Random fact. Chicken and ostriches are the closest living relatives of the T-Rex. Have a good one. Bye.